And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday morning, April the 13th, uh, 2019. Stan the Fan and the Bat Around are on the air. There are no guys in here today. Craig Heist is um, suffering with a, uh, a, a busted battery. A really supposedly. bad excuse. That's really lame. Very lame. Very okay? lame. Little did he know that it's Britney's last show right he's, uh, missing here. Out. he's missing out i had breakfast i'm gonna have lunch with Brittany, uh and she's picking up the check craig uh <laughs> anyway some exciting news in the everett household and i'm not going to go public with who you're working for just yet until you actually start but they are good friends of mine and you are going to be working with some really talented people uh in the pr business uh a certain color pr business uh, and I congratulate you, Brittany, on your first real serious job out of college. Thank you. I appreciate it. I start Monday, and I'm very excited. All right. Once you actually start, we will will happy to give plugs to who you're working yeah, for. Yeah, thank you. This PR agency with a color in front of it. All right. But uh, excited for you. Uh, will you be with us for a couple weeks while we train somebody? Yeah, a couple more weeks. All so. right. Still be around. All Not right. actually my last show. But. No, but for, for all intents and purposes, it's the last show where she could have the freedom to have breakfast and lunch with the hosts. Uh, congratulations to Brittany Everett. Um, wish I had congratulations for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they lost last night 6-4. to four. David Hess pitched a good game. Not a great game. Uh, anytime you keep the uh, Boston Red Sox fairly close, you've done a pretty good job. But as so often has happened with the Orioles, uh, the bullpen was not able to hold the fort down. The Orioles did rally late with a two-run homer uh, off the bat of Renato Nunez that took it from a 6-2 to two game to make it 6-4 to four and give the Orioles a, a chance uh, at victory or at least a tie. Uh, but um, Ryan Brazier came in to get the last two outs of the ball game, and the Boston Red Sox win for the second time in a row, 6-4. to four. The Orioles have now lost four games in a row after losing um, the last three games of the home Oakland series after clobbering Oakland on Monday night. They lost the next three, and they um, will get back up on the horse in about three hours, like right at 105. And today's pitching matchup, by far, in my opinion, the most favorable of the weekend. Now, we know that the Red Sox have had major starting pitching woes uh, to start the season off, but the Orioles' um, matchup last night of Hess versus Eduardo Rodriguez, let's be, let's be real, it greatly favored the Red Sox, despite the fact that Rodriguez's earned run average was over nine, I think, uh, may have been even higher than that. Today, they get Rick Porcello, whose ERA, I think, is the highest of all the Red Sox starters at like 12 or something like that. He goes against Andrew Kashner, which on Porcello's best day, he's better than Kashner, but you've got to figure he's not going to be at his best today. Kashner's been pitching fairly well. That is a toss-up, 
game to me. I know the Red Sox will be favored because of the lineup that they present as opposed to the Orioles lineup, but um, that's that's a, as good a look as I think we're going to get at the Red Sox. And then tomorrow, 105 start, David Price will go for the Red Sox. He had the lowest earned run average of any of the Boston starters at six runs per nine innings. He will start against John Means, who did a pretty good job, not as the opener the other day, but it was not figured to be a long start. John Means went three innings against the Oakland A's and deserved a better fate. Uh, gave up that three-run homer to Marcus Simeon uh, after th- like two two infield hits and an error by the uh, third baseman Hanser Alberto. And uh, all of a sudden, Oakland, I think, had a 4 nothing lead when, at worst, he deserved to get out of the inning with maybe a run. But actually, all of those runs, I believe, were unearned in that, uh, in that ball game or that inning. Anyway, John Means will go against David Price. you got to figure again, David Price is a favorite. Now, Chris Sale was listed to go against um, the Orioles had hoped Alex Cobb would be back. That looks like that is taking longer, and I'm I'm going to throw out today is what the today is the 13th. I'm going to think it's about the 25th of the month or later that Cobb gets back from these back issues. Now remember, he had a groin problem that cost him opening day, so he's got something going on in his core areas, uh, and I think they would be much wiser this time around, not to rush Alex Cobb like they did last year when they signed him March 21st or 22nd, and then he was in the second series of the season as a starting pitcher. There's nothing to get be gained. The, the best gain that Alex Cobb could have as, is twofold. He could pitch well and be a mentor to some of these young pitchers, and really, despite his contract, his oversized contract for what the Orioles are doing now, he could serve in that role for a couple seasons. Uh, or the better he pitches, the more he raises the likelihood that a team that needs starting pitching that doesn't get a Madison Bumgarner, be it the Phillies, be it the um, Houston Astros, be it the Dodgers, somebody could step forward for quality starting pitcher who might be in a six or eight game sale where he's looking pretty good, as opposed to kind of rushing him back, having bad performances build up, and and then he doesn't recreate the value that we know Cobb can have if he's right. So I would um, err on the side of patience. So having said that, uh, not a pretty matchup on Monday. Although the Red Sox have moved off of Chris Sale, it looks like they're going to go with Hector Velasquez on Monday, and uh, the Orioles are due to pitch Dan Straley, who is playing the role of Alex Cobb this year a little bit, being rushed in um, you know, uh, because this pitching staff already after 12 or 13 games is sort of on life support right now. Uh, it's It's been... It's been a mess pitching, uh, pitching wise for the Baltimore Orioles. It has not been good. Uh, one of the lone uh, positives on this pitching staff has been Paul Fry. Uh, Michael Givens has not been great. Michael Wright and Miguel Castro have been way less than anticipated. Richard Blyer is going to need, I'm estimating, at least a month, maybe longer, uh, to get back from uh, some shoulder issues that you have to believe surround 
the lat surgery that he had, the lat repair surgery he had, that's in the, if you're looking on camera, the, the lat muscles are right back here, right back here, okay? Uh, so that's going to take a while uh, for Richard Blyer to come back. And then, look, the starting pitching, uh, Hess has pitched one terrific game in Toronto. He's had a couple so-so games and one really bad game. Kashner has probably been the most consistent once you take away opening day. Uh, but the other starters, uh, Dylan Bundy pitched. Uh, the only promising note on Dylan Bundy is he pitched three very solid innings the other day uh, against the Oakland A's before it all fell apart. He was absolutely brilliant for three innings. The Orioles had a one nothing lead in the bottom of the third. The Orioles had the bases loaded and two outs. You had the feeling that if they didn't strike there, at least I had that feeling. And again, I'm always... I'm always erring on the side of being a little negative uh, or feeling the negative vibes. And I felt when Trey Mancini grounded out to end that inning and we didn't extend the lead to three to nothing or four to nothing, uh, that it was going to be a tough game because Oakland can really put the ball in play. They square up on a lot of balls. All of a sudden, Chris Davis hit a two run homer, and that was. The, all the lead went from there, and then by the time Bundy left, I think it was six to one uh, at at the time that he left the game after giving up three or four home runs. So it's been a real. Uh, it's hard to even call it a mixed bag because it's been a real drag. Brittany, your thoughts on the Orioles early on this season? While I try and get up on my computer screen. Sure. So I've actually been to two games already this season, opening day, and then I just went to the third game against Oakland. And um, it's shocking how many people are not attending the games, and I think that's really affecting the ball club as a whole because I know they need their support, especially being a new team. All of these people are just starting out, and they're not really getting that feel of what it's like to play for a major league team. So I really think people need to start coming out to the games. And, yes, it's going to be a turnaround for the team, but I think they need that support. Yeah, I'd like to, you know, I, I'm very careful and have been my entire career about laying guilt on fans that they owe the team this. You know, um, people have discretionary income, and they have to use it for a lot of things, and especially the economy the way it is and the way things are. People's resources are strained. But, you know, you might read that Oriole tickets are expensive. There are a myriad of ways to get into that ballpark uh, for, uh, for a really good value. So I would urge fans to invest a little of their money in supporting this team. And, and again, we're talking about a four-game series against Oakland that I think barely drew 25000 for four games. So we're not saying that uh, – 40,000 people have to be out there every night. But Monday through Thursday, those are important nights to pick out a couple that you're going to go to periodically because those are the nights the team could use you. And it is a big difference when there's 14,000 people there as opposed to 6,500 or 7,000. We understand that the Orioles have to regain uh, fans' trust and uh, feeling that they want to be invested. But don't be a fair-weather fan only and just support the team in two or three years when all of a sudden you go, hey, this team's really great. You're, you're going to really, by investing now, and again, I'm not talking hundreds of dollars, 
by going to three, four games that you might have said, eh, I'm not going to go to a game for a couple years now. It's important. The team, the, the money, and you may, you may be cynical about this and say, ah, the team's got plenty of money, they've got plenty of revenue streams, and they do have plenty of those revenue streams. But one of the things that can help management invest in the players from Latin America, in the analytics department, is your investment in the ball team. And I'm not saying that John and Lewis are going to look around and go, there's only 6,000 people here, we're not going to invest. No, they've got a large investment in the Baltimore Orioles for the Angelos family, and they're going to want to make this team as good as possible. They could use our help in supporting that effort, both emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Right, yeah. Did I say that well? You did very well. All right. Maybe you'll tell your new bosses that I could I could be a spokesperson right. for, hey, for different companies. If you want to come join us, you yeah. can. All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, Orioles lose 6-4. to four. Here's what we've got on the show today. Uh, to kick off the discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, uh, about five minutes away, Todd Karpovich is going to join us. He's covering the birds for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, doing a very nice job. Did um, At 10.45... We've got an interview, very interesting interview. Dr. Stephen J.K. Walters, a professor of economics at Loyola College uh, and a former economic advisor of the Baltimore Orioles, Dr. Walters wrote an op-ed piece in the Baltimore Sun, which is really fascinating. Glenn Clark had him on the show yesterday. I'll look to have him on in the days and weeks ahead uh, as well. But we've got the tape that Glenn did with him at 1045. At 1105, Craig Heist is going to join us. We're going to find out. We're going to get to the bottom of just why he's not here this morning, uh, especially the fact that he missed out on breakfast on Brittany. Um, and I don't mean physically on her. I mean she paid for the tab, and she's buying you just, me lunch you had too. To go Craig. There, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I had to. Um, you'll never have that problem at your next job. Okay, you'll never good. have that problem. <laughs> but seriously, Craig Heist uh, missed out on an opportunity to get a free lunch, a free breakfast uh, on Brittany's uh, last show here. All right. Speaking of Brittany, at that point we'll be at about eleven twenty-five, and we're going to have. Brittany Giroli, who used to cover the Orioles for MLB.com, she is covering the Washington Nationals for The Athletic, and we'll talk to her a little bit different about um, MLB.com, her work there, which I know she loved to do. Is she enjoying working for The Athletic, an entirely different sort of beat uh, assignment uh, than MLB.com. And then, closing out the show at about 11.35, former Oriole left fielder and part of a great platoon with John Lowenstein, Gary Renicky is going to join us. Gary, a uh, longtime member of the Orioles. Uh, his brother is a coach with the Boston Red Sox, Ron Renicky, who managed for the Milwaukee Brewers for a time. Uh, Ron was also with the Angels, I believe, when Mike Sosha took them to a world championship. I think that's the case. Uh, but anyway, Gary Renicky is going to talk to us a little bit about what he's doing, which is nothing. Um, he's been... Uh, uh, he's been out of baseball now for two. This is his second summer out of the game. Gary, a really top-flight scout, and would hope that he would be uh, uh, he would be uh, ready to go. And he uh, uh, he'd love to get back into action. We'll talk to Gary Renicky a little bit about the change of the game, 
the change of uh, swings, this uh, launch angle revolution, uh, the, the advent of striking out being no embarrassment to anybody anymore. So we'll talk about a lot of that. Uh, again, today's game starts at 105, and it is Andrew Kashner versus the Boston Red Sox and Rich, Rick, Rick Porcello. And then tomorrow at 105, it'll be John Means against David Price. And then on Monday morning, it'll be Dan Straley versus Hector Velasquez. The Yankees, the Red Sox have decided to give Chris Sale an extra day of rest, and he will pitch on six days rest against Masahiro Tanaka and the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium on Tuesday. Uh, I feel sorry for Chris Sale. The poor guy just doesn't know what hit him. Uh, and, it, and by that, I'm referring to not a truck or something. Uh, I drafted him at great cost on my fantasy baseball team this year. So Eduardo Rodriguez got off the schneid last night, pitched a brilliant game last night for six and two-thirds innings. Um, by the way, I'm always an Orioles fan, but I do root for my fantasy baseball team. So, you know, once they're ahead three to nothing in the way Rodriguez is pitching last night, I'm saying I got a pretty good chance to win this game, and that's good for me because I had Brad Keller going for Kansas City, and he had a big lead early, like 6 nothing after the first inning. He won 6-1, to one, so I'm looking at Eduardo Rodriguez, and all of a sudden he walks a batter in the – he walked uh, – no, wait, hold on, hold on. Where did the Orioles score their two runs? Okay. In – here we go. Rickard grounded out to start the seventh. Mancini lined that ball to Mookie Betts. They initially gave Betts an error, which I think he deserved on the play, but anyway, which would have turned the runs into unearned runs. But uh, they ended up changing the scoring to give him a double, and it was a tough play. I'll grant you that. Nunez struck out, and then Dwight Smith was up, and I don't remember the count whether it was one and two or two and two. Um, Rodriguez, to me, made a perfect pitch, and the umpire wasn't quite settled in his stance yet, just sort of ignored it, and it was a ball. And then the very next pitch, Dwight Smith hit a home run. That pitch, to me, is exhibit A for why we need electronic ball and strike umpiring. That pitch is a strike, to me, 100 out of 100 times. That's my thought on that. And uh, I'm sticking to it. All right. While we make our contact with our friend, um, our friend whose name is Todd Karpovich, I want to ask parents out there, moms and dads, to listen up. All season long, kids ages nine and under, cheer free at Oriole Park. Visit Orioles.com/slash/kids-free for details, and bring your kids to cheer free. We want to remind you that you are listening and watching the Bat Around uh, on Facebook Live. And I ask anybody that is watching us on Facebook Live, it took me about two or three minutes or five minutes of talking. I hate that when Craig's not here because I can usually say something to Craig and then type in uh, the, the, the press box um, Facebook page and then like it and share it. I'm asking everybody that might be watching us right now on Pressbox Live to please like and share. And we remind everybody that, as always, 
The battle round takes place live in the live casino hotel studios uh, in lovely Hamden, Maryland. All right, we have Todd Karpovich on. Todd, are you there, my friend? I'm here. How you doing? I'm doing good, Todd. Um, first of all, I got to ask you: Were you watching the game closely last night? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The the uh, thing I just alluded to. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent and have been for the last four or five seasons of electronic ball and strike umpiring. Did you oh, yeah. see the pitch before Dwight Smith hit the home run? I mean, you couldn't have a more perfect pitch in my I estimation. I know. And, uh, well, the one that, there was one Thursday that was clearly outside that they, um, they called a strike. Yeah, I mean, you got to have some consistency with, with these balls and strikes. I think, you know? I think it does the pitching population – uh, and Lord knows we've got a pitching population. I mean, they're talking about doing some things ex- as extreme as lengthening the distance between home plate and the pitching rubber by two feet. Uh, they're they're talking about those changes where pitchers have to pitch at least the three batters as a means to bring more offense into the game. Well, I'll tell you what, in my opinion, would bring a lot of offense in the game is for batters and pitchers to know what the hell each have to expect out of balls and strike calls. Yeah, I think it's just... They need, they need to have a consistent strike zone. You can't have it varying to series to series to game to game. Yeah. You, know, you just can't do it. Uh, um, this way, you know, uh, batters know what they have to swing at and pitchers know what marks they have to hit. They can't... They, uh, batters can't be taking pitches that they think are balls because that was where it was called the previous day and it's called a strike. Yeah. You know, it's just... It really, it really messes, it messes it, with the game overall. It, it's it's mind boggling to me now with with the advent of video replay, Todd, that we will we will allow a team to challenge. Like let's say uh, Jonathan VR tries to steal second base, and the the intent of video replay was for the uh, to make good a botched call, right? You know, guys yeah. obviously safe, and they call him out, not. To, to get the the one little hair that a guy gets off a base, possibly because he's being pushed by the defender anyway. That we can video replay. We're so precise on that. And the most important part of the game, the the strike zone, is left to an interpretation every time. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. It, it really is. It really There's is. There's so many traditionalists in baseball that they, just, they won't budge on certain issues. you know. And, the, and if this is the free pitchers, then that's never going to happen because – they're already arguing. What if there's an injury, or what if the guy's not right? You know, that's uh, yeah. Know, but you have to change with the times. You know, change is good in some examples. In I, this case, an automated strike zone, I think, will be a great benefit. And I think it's coming too. I really do. I think this commissioner is is ripe for changes. I think it will be something that people will talk about. And I am predicting, uh, Todd, that nothing will speed the game of baseball up more. Then batters knowing when they have to swing or when they should take, and and pitchers knowing what what is a strike and knowing that they have to come across the plate. I agree, you know, and, it's not, and that would solve the time issue. And also, it's not only that when pitcher, you know, he throws a pitch and he thinks it's a strike. There's all this know, griping. All the there's all this griping. The yeah, there's all yeah. the griping that takes place. He All steps right. off the mound for thirty seconds to get his head together. You know what I mean? Because he's mad about the, um, you know, the call. Hey. So it's like, and, uh, and the same thing with a batter. He, he gets a pitch that he thinks is a ball. It's called a strike. 
he steps out of the box, you know. Right. Sort of the, he's grumbling. Sort of he's grumbling. It, it's it, the whole thing is slowed down. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Todd, I wanted to move on to talk. Look, I know you do a terrific job for us on PressBoxOnline.com. And then we all kind of editorially chip in our two cents what would make a good story for the monthly newspaper. And this year we gave you the what looked like a great story back on like March 16th was the comeback of Richard Blyer. And yeah. that, that comeback uh, has taken a different detour for Richard Blyer, and it took a little bit of a detour on your, on your piece. Tell us a little bit about what the latest is. Uh, because the injury that he had, I've told you this privately, and I've mentioned it on the air. A friend of mine who's a rehab doctor, Dr. Michael Sherry, he's one of my best friends, when he heard what Blyer did last year, he said, how the hell did he do that? And I said, well, apparently he threw a pitch and the, the lat muscle tore. He said, man, that is a tough injury to come back from. Yeah, and um, everybody right now is admitting that he came back too fast. Yeah. Um, and you knew it, you knew something. I mean, you knew immediately something was wrong. He was not the same pitcher that, that he was before he got hurt. And, um, he's going to reset. And I, we, we talked to him on Thursday. Right. And, and he said, you know, they, they made the, the agreement that he was going to go down and do some rehab. And I asked him, I said, does this mean an MRI? And he said, no, it's nothing like that. So that, that's, a, that's a positive sign. Um, it sounds really, like it sounds like what happened is you know they did the surgery on the lat muscle in his upper back you know above the shoulder blades across there and it's the same injury that Mike Clevenger has only Mike Clevenger didn't fully tear the muscle Mike Mike uh, Clevenger like strained it or, or has a very small tear anyway he's out for six to eight weeks before he can pick up a baseball. Blyer uh, immediately was uh, had the surgery done last, like, July, I think. Um, yeah, got hurt in June. I think yeah. what's happened here is he's not used to the, maybe it's scar tissue back there, and I think it's altered something in his motion because his injury right now is more like a shoulder, isn't it? Well, it's left shoulder tendonitis is the official um, reason for going on DL. And that's what he said, too. He said the issue was more in his shoulder. It wasn't really... He wasn't feeling the injury in the same place where he originally got hurt. Right. I think there's more in his shoulder. So the injury, so it sort of, it sort of moved up on him. I guess he wasn't using his muscles, or his muscles had to work harder because of the injury. It's probably something like that where those those shoulder muscles aren't built up enough to take on the added responsibility they have until that that surgical repair is fully in place. Yeah, I tell you what, the, the big picture, this team has really been snake bit. Yes. With injuries early. You know, well, it's it's, ter- it's terrible when you have when you have several players like a Mark Trumbo and Alex Cobb and Richard Blyer. Let's face it; those are three guys that, if they performed well, really had a good chance to bring back a little return uh, in the way of prospects because they would be desirous commodities for contending teams. And you're right; the Orioles have been snake bitten. Uh, with some of the players that they most needed to come in and perform well for them this year. And they Carnes is supposed to be that wild card, and of course he goes on the TL. Yeah. And, you know, and he, he, he also said it's more prohibitive than an actual injury, you know, because they're kind of looking at, you know, it's April and they don't want to, you know, blow everything out so early. But still, you know, <laughs> these are key pieces, guys that are supposed to contribute that 
you know, they're on the IL. And it's, it's just not helping. And the, the bullpen has really, really struggled. No, um, it's, it's really with, struggled. With, with, these, with these injuries. Uh, what's your take right now? David Hess has been, it's almost like a bit of a coin toss from game to game, what you're going to get with him. But he has one of the, they showed last night some of these stats um, on Masson. He has like the third highest, wait a minute, what was it? The third highest miss rate on, or fastball speed. Uh, I, I forget the stat now, but it, it shocked me. He was up there with like Steven Strasburg in the top five in the game on fastball velocity or something. Well, yeah, and you figure after that, I mean, he pitched out of the bullpen that first game, and he's going at least five innings in his last three starts, which is pretty good. For, was, I mean, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, as a positive with, with the current rotation. Um, and he can throw. Um, I think, I do think, you know, his last couple, his last start, um, they are getting more film on him. You know, they're getting more, mm-hmm. more, um, more splits. So they're catching up with him a little bit. So he's going to have to, uh, he's also going to have to adjust. But he, he's a guy, I think, um, you know, they got to, they got to be happy with his progress so far. No, no question about it. And, uh, you know, last night he gives up the, uh, home run to Ben and that puts him ahead one, nothing, and then he probably deserved a little bit better fate uh, in that uh, two-run inning in the fourth. Uh, the Orioles have to do a better job. Their starters and relievers, they had Ed, Eduardo Nunez, they had him 0-2, and I, I don't know why you have to come across the plate with a ball that he can pound off the wall that drove in that third run the second of the inning uh, with two outs in the fourth. Yeah, his line was actually pretty good. You know, uh, well, he gave up three runs, uh, yep. six hits, uh, three strikeouts, and, uh, and, and uh, no walks. You know, that's key. You know, so his line actually wasn't bad. Um, you know, finishing up, and you know, and he's he's, uh, he's definitely been a bright spot because the rotation. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Tide said you know after Thursday he called Bundy's latest start unpredictable. And he meant that in a good way. And yeah. he was um, he was mixing his pitches, but he gave up four home runs again. Yeah. You know, so he now leads the league with six home runs. It's the same thing that you know that, that hit him last year when he gave up what he gave up forty one last year. Yeah, it's you know I don't like to make fun of uh, Brandon Hyde and the situation he's in, but I had to chuckle also the other night when Dan Straley was forced into the rotation quickly. Uh, because of other injuries. Uh, and after the game, he says, man, we really have to figure a way to keep the ball in the ballpark. And I yelled at, <laughs> yeah. the, I yelled at the TV, not real loudly, but I yelled, maybe you don't want to acquire a pitcher that gave up 80 home runs in the last three seasons. That might be something to, to think about. That has a history of giving up home runs. Yeah, yeah. well, he gave I up mean... 31 in his, in his season. He won 14 games with the Reds. He threw 191 innings. He gave up 31 home runs. Then the next season in Miami, he threw 181 innings and gave up 31 home runs. Last year, because of injury, he only threw 122 innings, gave up 20 home runs. And then in spring training, in uh, 16 innings, or was it 13 innings? I think it was 13 innings, he gave up six home runs. It was 15. Yeah. It was 15 innings, five home runs he gave up. He, he's a home run. He, he took he, a positive turn to it, saying he's yeah. still, he's not, um, he, you know, to see his offseason, is, 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 you know, his preseason was abbreviated that he's still fighting oh, yeah, his legs a little bit. But geez, a whiz, man. You yeah. know, I mean, we're giving up, uh, you know, five run runs in two games. And that's the job. You know, he threw one point, you know, one the third inning his first time, three and the third the second time, you yeah. know. 
Well, listen, he's a guy that they think can be sort of a steadying influence on that rotation. And smart pitchers a lot of times will give up a fair amount of home runs, but some of them, uh, and as as we know from Jim Palmer, and I'm not comparing Dan Strelly to Jim (laughs) Palmer, but if you give up solo home runs – they sure hurt a lot less than two and three run homers. Yeah, and that three running homers that killed them. There's, I mean, the Orioles so far this year. Right. Miguel Castro, Jesus, whiz, you know, and that's that's been a difference in a couple games. The three run homers. So, so we've we've picked apart the pitching staff. Jonathan VR is having a good season offensively. Trey Mancini's having a terrific season. Yeah, He's hit Trey the ground Mancini's running, there, yeah. and Dwight Smith has done very well. The rest of the, the rest of that lineup, though, Craig uh, Todd is something like they're hitting 177, the rest of the players combined, with two home runs and 18 RBIs out of seven other players. Yeah, the team they're betting 222. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they had a nice little comeback on Thursday, but they got blown out, you know, two games against the A's, and they got blown out a couple times against the Yankees. Um, and so, I mean, obviously they're not going to be able to, um, you know, get into these, you know, these, these um and, you know, offensive, you know, they can't match teams offensively all year. Um, so they need the pitching to come around, and they, they can't find that balance. Um, so hopefully, you know, I think it can, though. You know, we're still in April, you know, so yep. it's a marathon. We're, we're, you know, we're still in the first mile. Um, so there's time, you know, but we're starting to see, we're starting to, we're all starting to see trends, you know, with this team. Yeah, we're starting to see trends. And listen, intellectually, uh, and I did this the other night. I was watching one of the Oakland games where we were losing 13-5, to and I was lamenting sort of how bad this can get. And I was lamenting the lack of punch in the lineup. And I, I pulled out, or I went to Google, and I typed in 2012 Houston Astros. And that was a team that won 55 games and lost 107 games. To me, the good news for the Orioles fans is that very few of these players, and I know this sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I want our fans to get behind what we have, but very few of these players are going to be in the next on the next iteration of a contending Oriole team. That Houston team in 2012 had Jose Altuve, Marwin Gonzalez, and Dallas Keuchel. There really wasn't anyone else who was on their contending or World Series championship team. And let's face it, 90% of what we have, or 95% of this roster, they're place setters right now. They're yeah, place that's savers. why they're not going to rush anybody up. Yeah. You know, and I, I, that's why people really need to get more on board with that plan, is they're not going to rush, you know, chances to Mount Castle up, because there's a plan for them to get their at-bats in the AAA and to work with coaches and to develop, and then... You know, it's a seamless, almost a not, almost a seamless transition to take over the major league roster. But yeah, you're right. Most of these guys are going to be stopgaps. You know, uh, and and in looking for people that aren't stopgaps, I would say that David Hess is one guy that has a chance to be more than likely what David Hess would be if he takes the next step. He ends up becoming sort of next year's trade chip. If he's a 12, 13 game winning type of pitcher, uh, yeah. I think he's a guy. I think Mancini's a guy. And the guy starting tomorrow, and I'm not ready to call him a world beater, John Means is is very interesting to me. 
he shared some good stuff too. Me, it means another another guy who's been um you know has been a pleasant surprise. Um, they could, I mean, it's going to be. I'm sure they have these ongoing discussions. You know, who who's going to be available? Like you said, Mancini would bring back a a huge huge return. I would think. Um, but again, but he is he a cornerstone player though, moving forward? Yeah, I you think know, um, I think he's quickly evolving into that. You know, after the season he had last year, which was horrible the first half, and a good bit better the last two months, I think we had hope that he would come into the season hitting the ground running. When you talk about a lineup with very little protection, and he's already got six home runs. 375 on base percentage. Yeah, betting 333. Yeah, I mean, there are teams that are going to come after him, but I think you have to have a face of the of the franchise, and he sure as hell looks like it to He's me developing. right now. And going back to um, um, what you said, you know, with Means and, um, and, and Hess, you know, um, Hess is 25 years old, you know, right. and, and Means, Means is, well, he's, tw- he's 26. So those guys are young, you know what I mean? So they, they don't have, you know, these are – these also could be guys the team could build, you know, could start putting a foundation in for the rotation. You know, it's going to be they have to, you know, they have tough decisions to make. Alex Cobb, I think, he's definitely being traded at this point. You know, at this point, I think um, the problem. The problem is, well, I think he's trying to keep the wear and tear away. The the problem so. is he's got to come back and sort of prove that he's worth a contending team. You know, contending teams aren't going to just look around and go. Hmm. I wonder if the Orioles would trade this guy Cobb. He's he's pitching to a six ERA. They're going to want to see Cobb in the low threes for four, five, six starts in a row, and that's where he builds up value for a team like perhaps the Phillies, perhaps yeah, the was, Dodgers. Uh, you know, he was solid in his only start against the Yankees. You know, yeah, it's probably one of his better outings at yep. the Orioles. So, yep. yeah. So, All right, and then of course Cashner. You know, again, he's another guy. You know. He's, what's he, he's got, you know, 528 or ERA now. Again, he'd be a guy that they probably look to move, but he has to pitch better. Yeah, and Bundy, they'd look, Bundy, they, of course, would look to move. I can't see any team really being excited about it. Look, if Dylan Bundy were a free agent after this year, I'm sure a team like the Houston Astros would say, hey, we might be able to fix this guy. Yeah. Uh, because what's troubling to me and we're early in understanding the analytical development, is I watched those Houston Astros, and Mike Elias and Sig Madal were a great part of that. I watched them bring in Justin Verlander. I watched them bring in Ryan Presley. And I watched them bring in Garrett Cole. And I said, boy, they they not only went out and got players that were attractive, they made them better. Yeah. Um, and that's from an analytical uh, dive. You know, it doesn't take a genius to know that if Verlander's earned run average with the Tigers was like 3-8, he comes to Houston and it's 2-2, uh, something's, ha- something's happening. It's not just that he's pitching with a better team, and it's not just he's more excited to be in a pennant race. They're, they're showing him something with video or something that or, or pitch selection that is improving him and I'm not seeing that with any of the guys that I thought. And the two guys I thought would most benefit were probably Bundy and Mike Wright. And the only guys I think we've seen so far might be Means and Hess have improved a little bit. Yeah, and of course Wright, Wright you know, I think Wright has, his numbers don't show it, but Wright has, I mean, he had that one really bad pitch um, 
you know, where he left up against the um, Yankees. Back. He is silly products, but again, his numbers his numbers are not very good. I mean, his whip's 2.5, you know. All right. So, hey, Todd, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll have you on uh, in a couple weeks. All right. I'll try and work to give you the Saturday off next week. All right, my friend? Sounds good. All good right. Week, I'll tell you, hey, any, big, any big lacrosse games going on today? Two big ones. Uh, Towson, UMass at noon. That's probably going to decide the CAA. I could decide the CAA, and then, of course, and is that Army at, Navy. Is that at Towson? That's at Towson. Okay. And then Army Navy, 100th meeting. Okay. That sounds That's exciting. Cool. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Todd Karpovich from the Live Casino Hotel Studios, uh, where we broadcast the bat around every Saturday. We thank Todd for his um, portion of the show. When we get back, we're going to run a tape uh, with Dr. Stephen J.K. Walters that Glenn Clark will bring in. Uh, he's a professor of economics at Loyola University over there on Charles Street, and he's a former economic advisor to the Baltimore Orioles. His boss was Dan Duquette. He wrote an op-ed piece about the Chris Davis contract and the na- notion that this is a sunk cost and that maybe the Orioles should move on uh, while the moving is uh, good. Live Casino Hotel features Howie Mandel, an evening of comedy. That's right. Join the star of Deal or No Deal and America's Got Talent at 8 p.m. on Friday, May the 17th. Tickets start at $35 and include $10 in free slots play only at Live Casino Hotel. Go to livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets. Around here, there are two kinds of chicken. Royal Farms' world-famous chicken and everything else. What's the difference? Royal Farms chicken is always fresh, never frozen. It's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices and cooked on the spot right in the store. Chicken from anywhere else? Who knows? Hungry for some hot and delicious chicken? Get some Royal Farms' world-famous chicken. It's one of a kind. And don't forget the Western fries. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. This season, Sundays in Birdland are for the kids. After every Sunday home game at Oriole Park, kids ages 4 to 14 get their very own chance to run the bases. Enjoy the full ballpark experience, then after the game, give your kids the chance to fulfill their major league dreams and make memories of your own by watching your kids sprint around the diamond. Be part of all the fun with Kids Run the Bases at Oriole Park, presented by Wise Markets. Visit Orioles.com for tickets and details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. One third of of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Trip AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you... On my list. This is your boy, Y2A the Sage. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Doctor, I was really interested in what you wrote um, about this situation. And I know that, you know, before we move forward, let's just, you know, touch on, on this again. You do had run these models. Could you tell us anything about how you came up with these models and, and how you projected that four years was the right amount of time for Chris Davis? Well, uh, I've been doing this uh, research for a long time. I actually published a couple of articles in uh, scholarly journals on how to value players uh, some years ago, and it's very simple. You you try to forecast how much output they're going to generate in terms of uh, wins. Uh, you know, the coin of the realm these days is wins above replacement, and, and uh, you project that out, and then you, you look at each team's market and, and how much revenue uh, is generated in the local area by those wins, and then you say, okay, that's the ceiling on what a team should be willing to pay for a particular player. So, you know, one of the points in that um, op-ed that you referenced is that uh, Baltimore's market uh, is is quite small. We rank 26th in the Nielsen rankings. There are a couple of uh, higher-ranked cities that don't have Major League Baseball. The other thing that, that I think um, really uh, says a lot about how much financial risk Mr. Angelos was willing to take on when he signed uh, Chris Davis was there's a lot of uncertainty about the division of revenue from the Masson uh, contract with mm-hmm. um, with the Nats and that you know the Nats market you know when they when they came to Washington uh, the Baltimore Washington merged area they took the lion's share of that they you know Washington's the seventh ranked Nielsen market and um, so as a result, the, you know, the Masson uh, revenue sharing agreement was the Orioles would get most of that as, as compensation for the territory that they gave up and the revenue potential that they gave up. So, you know, that, that's a big constraint on how much the Orioles uh, can and should pay for free agent talent or to retain their own talent. They, they have to be really sharp and very shrewd about uh, laying out money because, um, 
you know, given the constrained uh, revenue potential of this market, that uh, that means that a player, uh, you know, has uh, a lower market value in this this market than he would, say, in New York or Boston or L.A. Dr. Walters, in referencing that, I'm going to bring up something. You referenced the, the philanthropic nature of Peter Angelos, and I think that even um, those that, that have not necessarily loved Peter Angelos as a baseball owner over the years would have to be willing to admit it's unbelievable how much he has done philanthropically for this city. Let me go a step beyond that, which I think there was a fan base, and I will count myself among them, that in this moment said, I'm okay with the Orioles spending some bad money in this process because I think you have to spend bad money in baseball. The Red Sox, you know, spend bad money on uh, Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez. Plenty of teams that compete spend bad money. You just can't spend bad money and then give up on spending money. Is what you're saying maybe more along the lines of because of the nature of the Orioles, it's not that simple. And, and clearly this is an overwhelming number of bad money. So it's a bigger problem than just saying bad money in general. But is what you're saying closer to specifically for the Orioles, they actually can't afford to spend any amount of bad money? Well, mistakes are going to happen. Uh, you know, nobody bats a thousand in this game. Um, but Boston and New York can afford to overcome their mistakes more easily than, um, than a small market team like Baltimore can. And, and that, that's really the, the crux of the problem here is there's a huge opportunity cost to uh, to a bad decision that leads to dead money on your payroll, um, you know those uh, names you mentioned from the Red Sox and and so forth. Uh, yeah, that, you know, when given their ticket prices, given their awesome uh, television uh, revenues and so forth, uh, they can they can uh, recover from that kind of mistake, a Pablo Sandoval type mistake, much more easily than we can. So you, all it means is. It's not that we expect to bat a thousand. Uh, it's that when we when we do make a mistake, we got to really you know try to minimize the the impact of that, and we got to try to avoid mistakes much more aggressively than than other teams do. So you know, small market teams in Baltimore is not alone in this. You know, there's the Cincinnati's and the Kansas Cities out there. They've got to be very judicious about uh, going to the free agent market, and you know that's why the new uh, leadership team that's come in has said. You know, the, the the game here is to build a player development machine where they draft really wisely and then they develop the players that they've drafted really wisely. And, and you know, you can compete uh, under those circumstances. And for a while, the Orioles were successfully competing under those circumstances. And, um, you know, they can do it again. Um, but this, you know, this is kind of a, a situation where the opportunity costs are obvious. There's a lot of money that, that is now not available um, you know, to spend on that development process and, and international signings and so forth. Dr. Stephen J.K. Walters, he is a professor of economics at Loyola University, former economic advisor to the Orioles. He's with us on Glenn Clark Radio, and we've linked up his op-ed for the Baltimore Sun at Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter. Um, Dr. Walters, in, in referencing some of that, I've made an argument as part of this rebuild, and it's not something they're going to do, but I've said maybe for a rebuilding team, it might not be a bad idea to seek out other teams' bad money because it provides an opportunity for you to get more talent into your own organization, that if you're willing to take on somebody else's bad money knowing you're not going to be good right now anyway, they might be willing to give you um, a, a prospect of some sort in that process. Based on your knowledge of this, would you say, hey, look, that, that, that concept wouldn't work here. You can't be taking on more bad money right now. They need to shed as much money as possible. No, that's an excellent idea, Glenn. Um, that's a good concept. 
the question, uh, really two questions. Uh, one would be uh, how much money is available for that, uh, and again, you know, the the litigation over the Masson um, revenue sharing formula. Right. Um, it's not, you know, getting as pu- much publicity as perhaps it deserves. It it percolates up to the uh, surface when there's a hearing or something like that. But it it's a major source of uncertainty about the future finances of the team. So you've got to be really careful. You've got to be extra careful uh, during this period because you don't know essentially what the arbitrators or the courts are going to say about, you know, how what share of the mass and revenues you're going to have going forward. So while, you know, in the abstract, this, this makes perfect sense. In other words, you could say, hey, uh, you know, especially the, the contending teams that are, you know, near the luxury tax, um, you know, you could say to them, we'll, we'll take one of your veterans, you know, struggling players who's, uh, you know, high priced, but you've got to, you know, make it worth our while right. by, by uh, packaging that with one of your uh, top prospects. In, in the abstract, that, that's, that's fine. But, uh, you know, the, the, the first question would be, um, you know, how, how, much, how many resources are there available for that, given this uncertainty? I mean, I think you or I, if we were facing a significant prospect that our future revenues were going to be even more constrained than our market size suggests, we, we'd be very cautious about that. Uh, you know, I completely understand exactly what you're saying. And yes, it, it, the amount of uncertainty, I can only imagine how much that influences on a day-to-day basis everyone in the organization. Uh, yep. doc- doctor, you, you say moving forward that the Orioles kind of have to treat this as sunk or unavoidable money. And you reference that, hey, look, there's a lot of people that are kind of saying, hey, this team's going to be bad anyway. Um, you know, why be in a rush? You can hope for the best. Maybe at some point Chris Davis bounces back to a place where somebody's willing to take him on. You're probably going to have to eat some of the money, but maybe you don't eat all of the money and you can get something back for him if that happens. But it's really hard to figure out um, exactly how you measure that versus, you know, what it's doing to the rest of the team to watch somebody get playing time. And, you know, we hear theories that does it hurt a young player when they look over and see somebody who who can't produce at the major league level continue to be handed the opportunity to play. Does that affect them? I I just don't know how to measure those things when it comes to the economics of $92 million. Yeah, it is difficult to measure. Uh, I'm not sure that there is much psychological effect on other players, um, but the the biggest resource that a field manager has to allocate is playing time, right? And uh, that's that's a key to the development of young players. So uh, the new the new team, uh, the new front office has has basically said we're going to be very careful about um, bringing players up prematurely. So there are some very good prospects that are now in double-A AA and triple-A, and that's, that's fine. But at some point when they are ready, there's also uh, a period during which the, you just get acclimated to, to, to major league life and major league ballparks and so forth. And, you know, some of the research I've done in the past suggests that, you know, the first two months that somebody's in the big leagues, just kind of throw it out because, you know, they're starry-eyed and, and oftentimes the, there's, there's really often no correlation between their performance for a couple of months and then what they do thereafter. Well, that means, you know, you got to, at some point when a guy's ready, you, you have to make room. And so that's where blocking, uh, you know, younger players becomes a, a problem for, for a development process. And, and are you reference... So, you know, that's something you have to weigh very carefully. It's yeah, if the if the team is going to be bad, you might say, well, it's a it's a costless proposition um, to play veterans, but but you are giving up this possibility of developing players and get, getting them experience at the major right. league level. It's kind of irreplaceable, 
and that's what that's what the new team has to has to weigh in this case. And clearly, that stretches beyond you know whether or not that guy is going to be a part of this thing whenever it pans out in four or five years. It's also is there a guy that's sitting there at AAA that if you got onto the field every day, whether that's a first baseman or moving Trey Mancini to first base and getting an outfielder out there, could that be another guy that could show himself at the major league level and you could turn around and trade him this year and acquire more parts for down the road? Like it, it, it extends beyond just you know day to day on the field types of questions. That's yeah, exactly right. Any time you can develop a, a major league asset, you should develop it. And and you know the the question of well, will this guy be a part of the team three or four years from now or more when we're when we're good again? Really doesn't necessarily weigh much in, into the bargain because a major league caliber player is marketable, and if if you if you can market that person and push talent into the future when you really will be a contender, you can do that. But you know these uh, these competitive windows can open or close uh, rather uh, uh, surprisingly. I mean, I think Milwaukee showed that last year. You really can't necessarily say, "Oh, we're on a three-year plan or a five-year plan sure. with absolute certainty." Um, you know, some plans take a little longer to execute than you think, and sometimes you know the plans come together uh, sooner than you think. So, you know, w- when you know what was the old uh, quote we will uh, we will serve no wine before it's time well but you shouldn't serve it after it's time either and and you know if a guy's ready and and he, and he can develop major league value you know bring him up and and uh, let him let him get established and if if you want to market that person in trade or something fine or if you want to make him part of your next uh, uh pennant drive that that works too it, it's um there's really no percentage in hoarding talent at the minor league level if they're if they're major league ready uh so you know blocking's a big thing for me i i don't like to to see uh, playing time allocated um inefficiently uh, dr walters before i let you go and i really appreciate you taking the time for us today I, I don't know if you happen to read um the new york times piece about chris davis or another economist from chicago richard thaller who was kind of quoted as comparing this situation to um, buying an overpriced dessert and and it's not very good but you want to eat it anyway because you already spent the money right like you that you know it's yeah. too rich it's not good for you but yeah. you know i spent the money i don't want to waste it is is there some of um, some level of, i know this isn't dan duquette or buck showalter but you know is, is that a factor when it comes to chris davis that some of the people involved in making the original decision are still here and to now, you know, go back on that decision or to agree to, to sink the money and just, you know, let Chris Davis go, that that becomes difficult because it is your money, it was your decision, and you don't want to admit that you, you know, you wasted $15 on a dessert that was too rich. Uh, well, Professor Thaler's got a good analogy there, and, and really that's a description of what what we call the sunk cost fallacy, and that's, you know, one of the things I identified in the in the op-ed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure uh, that's the whole story, though. It, it, and actually, you know, the the new field staff, the new uh, front office, um, you know, none of these people were really involved in in the decision to uh, you know to to retain Chris. But they like him. You know, this this is the other thing. It's it's not just the sunk cost fallacy. It's um, you know when when you admire someone and, and you know everybody's heart goes out to Chris Davis because he's you know he's living hard right now you can just see it in his eyes and you know it it warmed a lot of hearts when uh, you know Monday night uh, he was still struggling but he he wasn't getting booed as as uh, 
you know, loudly as he was sure. over the weekend and so forth. It's sort of like people are now, you know, sort of taking him under their wing and, and they're they're rooting for him and they're hoping for him. And, and, and I think that's playing a little part in this. It's it's not just a financial, we don't want to give up on this, you know, $92 million and write it off completely. We're, we're not just being excessively optimistic because we hope he's going to, like you say, hit four home runs one night and everything's going to be back to normal. Um, it's, you know, we, we're, we're all human beings, and, and that's why, you know, what I tried to point out in the, in the column was it's very cold to say <laughs> that a sunk cost is sunk. Right. And, un- right. you know, you can't salvage anything from it. And we don't want to be cold. We, we really want to, you know, be good human beings and, and considerate and, and so forth. And uh, I, I agree with all that. Uh, all I'm saying is there's, you know, there are also some kids who are, like you say, going to start wondering pretty soon, why am, why am I not getting a chance to play? Why am I blocked in my path to the major leagues? Or why am I not getting as much experience and so forth? And, and, and my career is now, you know, being, uh, being affected by this. That, that, Impulse also is going to um, play a part in this over time. How it's all going to work out? I mean, it's 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 a tough decision. Um, it's it's I, I'm glad I'm not making it. And we are back in the live casino hotel studios, and want to tell you a little bit about the Press Box High School Lacrosse Show, which is sponsored by Jerry's Tire. Located in Baltimore City, just steps away from Little Italy in historic Jonestown. Jerry's not only sells all the major brand tires like Bridgestone, Michelin, and Continental, but is your go-to shop for everything from oil changes to factory scheduled maintenance. All repairs are backed by a nationwide warranty. The team over at Jerry's has been serving the Baltimore area for over 62 years and are eager to earn your business. Give them a call. That's Jerry's, 410-685-4330, or visit them online at jerrystires.com. That's Jerry with a G, to shop for tires and schedule an appointment. That's G-E-R-R-Y-S, tires.com. Also want to talk to you a little bit about the Costas Inn. That's right. I get a chance to do that without Craig Heist button in. Uh, the Costas Inn is one of our favorite places, seriously, for a family atmosphere, great food at a great cost. The Costas Inn is uh, the place to go, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Uh, Craig Heist knows all about it. And Craig, while I've got you here, I'm just finishing up a Costas Inn commercial. Do you have anything to add about the Costas Inn? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, great specials all through the week on the menu. Live entertainment, Wednesday, jazz night, Friday, good rock and roll, Saturday, same thing, uh, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Get over there. All right. Sounds good. Craigie, uh, thanks for joining us. What's this story now? What happened to your car battery? Oh, it just, uh, it died okay. last night in, in, the, in the parking garage. Brittany's not buying it. She thinks something else is going on. No. No? It's just it. It's no. a, the, the battery died. All right. Uh, speaking of battery dying, I thought the Nationals really had that game in command. Uh, Patrick Corbin pitched a brilliant seven innings, I thought. Uh, what happened late in that ball game? Well, in the eighth inning, Stan, they had a 2-1 lead, and they went to Tony Sipp and uh, Kyle Bearclaw after him, and uh, they wound up scoring two runs. Adam Eaton made a terrible throw from right field. 
trying to get a runner going from first to third. He airmailed uh, everybody, the cutoff man, the third baseman. The pitcher had to back up the play. Uh, and then they gave up two runs, and then uh, eventually they wind up losing it. Uh, to, you know, Anthony Rendon hit his second home run of the game to tie it in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then uh, they wound up, uh, you know, started with uh, Matt Grace in the top of the tenth, and uh, they brought out uh, Justin Turner, who gave up the three-run homer. But uh, Justin Turner, we find out after the game, is having some lower back issues uh he was checked out by the medical staff so they're going to place him on the uh injured list and uh, we'll see what they do or who they bring up uh but this bullpen right now after so showing some signs on the road maybe getting it straightened out reared its ugly head last night and that was a game that uh you know after you get a performance like that from from corbin they you know gives up a run on four hits and goes seven and he strikes out 11 uh, that slider was just devastating last night, and uh, you know he gets nothing to really show for it. Craig, you'll be able to throw in the third name, but in spring training they had Vidal Nuno, they had Sammy Solis, they had Grace, and they had another left-hander, I think, in spring training. And at the last minute, like about March 25th, they picked up Tony Sipp, and uh, he had a rough year, I believe, last year in Houston, uh, was let go by them at a certain point in the season. He's been just awful so far. So far, you're right, and he was brought in specifically just to kind of be a uh, a left-handed specialist to get lefties out, and uh, he hasn't been able to do that very well. And the other part about that is they, they've used him out of necessity. They've used him in other situations that uh, was not the reason he was brought into the to the Nationals on the roster. So... Again, uh, Dave Martinez and Mike Rizzo have some things to figure out as far as getting this bullpen squared away, and I, I kind of feel bad for Dave Martinez because he's taking a lot of heat on talk shows, and certainly the one I did last night. Uh, but I think I think you know they've got to get it straightened out. Although I mean they're six and six, they're they're hitting the ball well. They're third in Major League Baseball in runs scored. Uh, so offensively, I don't think you know. Everybody was worried about whether or not you know Bryce Harper was going to be an issue, or are they going to miss him? And so far, they haven't missed him. Uh, but if they don't, because I mean, certainly the starting pitching has been more than enough for them to be able to win games. And right now, they stand at six and six. Tell me a little bit about um, the Trey Turner injury. I have not seen an exact, sort of an exact <clears throat> timetable attached from when he's going to return from that fractured finger. Is it at least a uh, month, Craig? I'm sorry, is it what? Is it at least a month? Uh, I would think so easily, Stan, yeah, because it's on the throwing hand. He turned to, to bunt the baseball, and he, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of guys just don't know how to bunt anymore, mm-hmm. and it's one of the things in the game that's gone by the wayside. But uh, he winds up squaring the bun, he's got his hand in a bad position on the bat and the ball just hit him squarely on the finger and he pretty much knew right away that it was broken because he said, you know, you could see him mouth the words, I can't move my finger. Uh, uh, so I would think it's at least a month, maybe more, and uh, uh, we might get a better indication when we get down there today. I'll try to look into it just to see, because I haven't talked to Trey because his team is on the road. 
uh, whether or not, you know, what the progress is like and how he's coming along with it. This... Uh, but uh, not having him at the top of the lineup, uh, even though they haven't had a whole lot of problems scoring runs, is an issue because uh, Brian Dozier right now is hitting just 163. So, and and they've, they've had him in the two slot behind Adam Eaton. Uh, so, so whether or not they want to, you know, switch that up, give Dozier a, a day or two to kind of think it over, uh, you know, because I had a person call me last night on the show and say, oh, it looks like we got the Dodgers version uh, of Dozier and not the, you know, not the Twins version of Dozier. And, uh, again, adjustment to a new league, that kind of thing. But that, that really can't be much of an excuse. Uh, he's just off to a slow start. I'm not going to bury Brian Dozier after he's, just 12 games. He's been a very streaky player. I mean, he could he could have that guy eating his words in three, four days when he hits three, four homers. And I'm not just an apologist. Dozier has always been an incredibly streaky hitter. Yeah, he has been. <clears throat> but over the course of a year, uh, you know, he's had some pretty big years offensively. Uh, again, you know, the injury kind of occurred, and he's been having trouble getting back to where he was. Uh, I thought it was a real good pickup for them uh, in the off season. Now, that said, you got Howie Kendrick back, and all of a sudden you look at Howie Kendrick coming off the bench as a pinch hitter, and he's four for five with a couple of extra base hits. Uh, do we see him play second base for a couple of days over the weekend? We will have to wait and see. I think manager Martinez is going to stick with Dozier right now. I looked. I, I love how I love Howie Kendrick's bat. Uh, the nature of his injuries, he looks like he's put on a lot of weight. I don't know whether he's a guy that I'd want on a regular basis out in the field. Well, I'm just saying, you know, is it a day or two thing? That's my right. my thing. I have no problem with him starting second base. Yep. Uh, at second base for a day or so to give Dozier maybe a, a chance to clear his head a little bit, but uh, you know how he's back and 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 I, I would have to think with what he meant to that team before he had the Achilles injury that he's just going to be serving as a pinch hitter. I kind of find that hard to believe. We're talking with Craig Heist, who's normally in the the uh, live casino hotel studios with us, but he's got the day off today. This is how he spends his day off working anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's my guy. That's one of the reasons. Well, we I got love- we got the caps at we got the caps at three. We have the Nats at four. Uh, so we'll be working anyway. All right, you're doing, and then you're covering the caps, though, correct? No, I'm covering the Nationals. You're covering today. the Nats. Who's pitching tonight? Uh, they moved Annabelle Sanchez up, uh, and uh, he is uh, going to pitch as uh, Steven Strauss, or I'm sorry, uh, Max Scherzer took a shot off the leg in his last start. Nothing serious. They're just going to give him an extra day. So they just flip-flop spots in the rotation. So Sanchez uh, is pitching. Who's pitching for Pittsburgh? Uh, that would be uh, Archer will be Chris, going for Pittsburgh. Today. Chris Archer. Uh, he of the uh, – yes. He of the uh, brawl uh, that took place he, at PNC. He of the brawl, right. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit, yeah, you amazing, know. Amazing, yeah, when you get that five-game suspension and you don't miss any time, it's, yeah, you know. That's a really tough suspension, you know. It really is. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and what is Puig's suspension, by the way? I'm sorry? Has Puig been given five games, too? Uh, no, no. Puig was given two. Two? Okay. 
two. I guess I guess yeah. when you're an, look like an out of control lunatic, you only get two. It's well coming from Essex, I can <laughs> certainly relate to that. Uh, all right, we're talking with Craig Heist a little bit about the Nationals. Hey, I've got Brittany Giroli on, so I want to save some of my ammo uh, for her appearance in a few minutes. I've yeah. noticed I, I have not been a huge fan of Davey Martinez, and one of the things I haven't liked is from afar, he never looks like he's having a good time, never looks like he's relaxed, never looks like he's smiling. All of a sudden this year – I'm seeing some of those things. Is he a lot more comfortable in his position in year two? I don't really notice any kind of difference, okay. Stan, to tell you the truth. I think I think a lot of what would make him more comfortable if he knew that he could throw some guys out there uh, once his starter gives him six or seven innings that can get the ball uh, to Sean Doolittle, and that hasn't happened pretty much for the entire six games or 12 games that we've played so far this year. Uh, that said, uh, I don't really see much of a difference. Uh, you, you know, to, to me, the bottom line, you know, it was funny, Charlie, Charlie, uh, slows and Dave Jagler, uh, as I was down in the tunnel, getting ready to do a post game interview, if they had won the game, you know, or, or sitting there saying, yeah, you, you know, this isn't really Davey's fault. You kind of feel bad for him because really you, you, you can't trust anybody right now in that bullpen other than Doolittle. So, uh, until this gets straightened out, this is going to be an issue for this club, and they better do something about it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and hit a panic button 12 games in when you're 500, but this kind of thing just can't continue to happen. Uh, one of the things they tried to do was, uh, as things were really scuffling uh, last week, was they made contact with uh, Bud Norris, former Oriole, who's become a pretty good relief pitcher of the past two seasons with the Angels. And, and has closed some games, and, yeah. And, and he's been pretty good with the Angels. And last year, the Cardinals, this year he signed a minor league deal with an opt-out with the Toronto Blue Jays when he didn't like their timetable for getting him to the major leagues. They released him out of that contract. He looked to be close to signing with the Nationals, but it sounds like the Nationals weren't happy with his readiness, didn't feel he was going to be ready for at least three weeks to a month. Uh, are those talks totally dead as far as you understand? Uh, I don't know whether they're totally dead, but they're certainly off for right now. Uh, and that was the reason I heard was the fact that the Nationals just didn't feel like he would be ready to pitch at the major league level uh, you know, for a few weeks, and he wasn't ready. So that's why that kind of fell through, even though it looked like it was on track to be done. I thought it would have been a really good fit, and I think. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. And when you're collectively looking for any kind of help, when you're you're collectively as a as a unit as a group in the bullpen, almost everyone is struggling, with the exception of one. Yeah, Bud Norris would have been a pretty good fit. I still think he could be a good fit in a, in three weeks to a month when he's closer. So I wonder uh, if they might revisit. But part of the the need to revisit could be whether they're able to come up with another trade or acquisition somewhere else, or Trevor Rosenthal, and let's talk about the 8,000-pound elephant, if he pitches much more like the Trevor Rosenthal they thought they were signing, that need sort of dissipates quite a bit. Well, it does, but again, you know, everybody, I mean, I think for the Nationals, when it comes to Rosenthal, 
the fact that he's throwing 98 to 100 proves, and on a consistent basis, proves that there are no health issues anymore. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is, if you're throwing 98 and 100, and you don't know where it's going, and that's been the issue, uh, you know, that, that that's a problem. And then the Nationals decided they were going to back off of him and only use him in non-pressure situations, either with a big lead or if they're behind by a whole bunch, uh, to see if they can't get him straightened out that way. Uh, again, this is going to take some time, and I, I, you know, I don't know how much time they have to do that. With the way I just look at this division, Stan, and, and just by the first two weeks, I mean, the, the National League East just beat up on one another, those top four teams. So is it going to continue that way throughout the year? Who knows? But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the Nationals have has what it takes to win that division, but they're not going to do it with the bullpen pitching the way they're doing it right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Each of those teams <coughs> seems to have a little bit of an Achilles heel, and at the end of the day, it looks to me like if the Mets' starting pitching stays healthy, they may have the best balance of the four teams, you know, because the Phillies certainly uh, were buoyed by that effort by Jake Arrieta the other night, but their starting yeah. pitching has been <clears throat> iffy. The Nats' bullpen has been iffy. Atlanta has surprised by the, how good their starting pitching has been. Yeah, how about that Kevin Gosman? Isn't he something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, he, yes, he is something. It's amazing. He it's amazing. It really is sometimes uh, you, when you look at it. But, you know, God bless him. He's a good kid, and he's down there. He's pitching well, and he's playing for what I think a lot of people think are going to be a contender. Uh, so he, he, he's getting the job done, and uh, uh, I couldn't be happier for him. You know, the same way that I'm, you know, I'm kind of happy, very happy for Adam Jones in the start that he's gotten off to. Uh, with the D-backs, I see Manny starting to swing a little bit of a hotter bat now. So uh, all the guys that we were we were loving for the last six, seven years uh, are doing well in other places. Yeah, and he's in the he's starting to warm up with the first place San Diego Padres. How about that? How about that? Yeah, yeah. Hey, did you by and, any and chance late, late last night see the play he made on one ball last night at third base? I saw the highlight of it, yeah. Oh, my God. And how about Adam Warren's reaction, the pitcher, former Yankee and Cub right. and Mariner? He had a smile well, on his he, face, and Tatis was smiling. I mean, that was vintage defensive Manny. Yeah, it really was. And there was a play a couple of nights ago where he comes in on a ball on a, on a swing and bun, and he winds up barehanding the ball, um, a la Brooks Robinson, if you will, right, right next to the pitcher's mound. He winds up throwing the guy out by several steps and the announcers just one of the announcers just went said you know look at this he says he made that look like it was nothing <laughs> <laughs> and when when he's playing when he's playing that kind of defense he, he does have that ability to make it look pretty effortless on what is always you know looks like a very very tough play yeah all of a sudden, the Dodgers, who were eight and two, are now eight and seven, and they've fallen two games out of first place. Uh, they do get Clayton Kershaw back, but Craig, it's crazy. Uh, you know, it's like that thing—a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, I think we were all ready to almost anoint Walker Bueller like this year's Cy Young Award, and you have to have a season that warrants winning it. So far, he's off to a very rough start. 
Yeah, he is. And uh, again, with with Kershaw's injury and and the history now of of, of what we know is you know pretty pretty nasty back issues. Uh, how long before he goes down again? Can you count on him for a full season? Uh, they're going to get him back. Uh, but again, is, is that going to rear its ugly head? And then Dave Roberts has some decisions to make. But yeah, uh, again, I, I think they're going to have trouble scoring runs at times. But uh, you know, their pitching is going to be the thing that carries them. And and to me, the glue to that whole thing is Kershaw, and it's going to be a matter of keeping him healthy. All right. Well, Craig, we really appreciate your joining the show to th- this morning. Uh, to make well, it- I got to be honest with you. I had every intention of being up there until the lateness of the evening got a lot that's, later that's with an extra with the extra inning game because we were flying. We were going to get through that game in about two hours and thirty minutes mm-hmm. last night, and then the uh, uh, the wheels came off the bullpen cart, <laughs> if you will, and they <laughs> have a bullpen cart down there. Yep. Uh, uh, but uh, you know they they went extra innings, which made the game a little bit more than three fifteen, I guess, and then uh, a little bit of a car issue on the way home. But other than that, uh, well, I really feel knowing, the, the no, reason... knowing knowing what I had to do today, I just felt like if I could just stay here. Yep. Uh, yeah, I prefer you stay there every Saturday. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I, <laughs> yeah, the only person the only person that's ever told me that is Brittany. So. Well, let me say, I got you, Brian. Hey, I feel bad. Bonzi used to say it all the time. <laughs> well, Bonzi used to offer to pick you up. He liked you yeah, so right. much. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, uh, what I really feel bad about, though, seriously, and anytime you need a blow, you know we can work it out this way. But, you know, this being Brittany's last show, she took me out for breakfast and she's taking me out to lunch. I feel bad that you're well, missing it, that. Well, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I'll just have to call and make other arrangements and other plans. So, what with it me? Is what it is with me? Uh, n- uh, no, she wants nothing to do with you, Craig. <laughs> oh well, I'm don't sorry. spread lies, Stan. All right, all right. Hey, Craig, thanks just, a lot. Just, hey, 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 Brittany, just tell mom I said hello. Okay? Yeah, I will. Oh, back I'm right, sure back she's watching it. right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. go Caps! Go Caps! And uh, by the way, congratulations to Brittany. Yes. Uh, Thank for, you. For, for, land, for landing her job, well-deserved. and We'll talk about, we'll talk about once she starts, we'll, we'll talk about uh, who she's working for, all right? Well, yeah, exactly. But you know what? I, you know, I said to Bonds online, I said, why is it that it took Brittany yeah. half right. the time, right. half the time, <laughs> to land a job that it did for you? Right. <laughs> and she drives so much slower, too. <laughs> exactly. At least we know she'll be able to get, get to there work, on right? time, right? Exactly. All right. Thank you. Hey, guys. You. Thank See you, later. Craig. All right. Hey, we are broadcasting live in the live Casino Hotel Studios, which we do every Saturday morning, and all our live programming, be it the Fantasy and Reality Football Show on Sunday mornings from 10 to 12, or the Glenn Clark program from 10 to 12, Monday through Friday, are all broadcast from the live Casino and Hotel Studios. And you can eat... A kingly meal and match wits with the smartest fans in the seven kingdoms. At Live Casino Hotel's Throne of Games brunch this Sunday, April the 14th at noon, one lucky person will win a trip to King's Landing with a seven-day trip to Croatia, including a two-hour Game of Thrones set tour. Go to livecasinohotel.com for tickets. 
Listen up, moms and dads. All season long at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, kids cheer free. For each regularly priced Upper Deck ticket, adults can get up to two additional tickets for kids ages 9 and under absolutely free. Oriole Park is the perfect place with fun for the whole family. Plus, enjoy smaller portion, budget-friendly concessions perfect for youngsters. And don't forget, you can pack your own picnic and bring it to the park. Kids ages 9 and under are free all season long. Be part of Orioles baseball. Visit Orioles.com slash kids free to learn more. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. All speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Hey, KZ here with KO from the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. It is almost draft time, so we're in full swing. The reality is that the Ravens are going to pick somebody really, really good at 22. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, we, we don't really know. I mean, in recent years, they haven't exactly had the best success, but we can always keep our fingers crossed, and the chances are it won't be a wide receiver, but the draft is indeed coming up. So you're telling me what I just said is a fantasy? Hopefully not. Fantasy Reality Football Show every Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. Give us a listen. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days Pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. And we are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning. And uh, joining us right now is someone who has 
not only left MLB.com, but she's left Baltimore for Washington, and that is an old friend, Brittany Giroli, who is now with The Athletic, covering the Washington Nationals. Brittany, thanks for spending a few minutes with us this morning. Yeah, no problem, Dan. No problem at all. Hey, you left us with this uh, Chris Davis mess. Boy, you know, when you were working uh, in Baltimore, he would get a hit once in a while. That's <laughs> true. I mean, there were some lean patches, though. It would, uh, it's certainly been unfortunate. I've been following it because how can you not, right? And uh, you got to hope it ends soon for everyone involved. It's, it's, it's just not a good situation. No, um, no. Really the guy. It's very similar to, you know, when you're driving on the highway and you wonder, what the hell's the holdup here? And then you realize that it's the same thing you're doing 10 minutes later, which is rubbernecking, looking over at an accident. Uh, that's what it's been like. Uh, you know, I'm amazed at how much focus is on him getting his first hit. And the hope would be that he'd get a first hit and then maybe go on to, to something. But boy, uh, the chances of him having an uh, aesthetically pleasing season are almost down the tubes already. Yeah, which is unfortunate because, I mean, you look at it, and it's so early still, but you just can't climb yourself out of that hole. I think if you're Chris Davis, you kind of have to look at it as, all right, once I get that first hit, I'll kind of, you know, my season starts then because, you know, based on such a physical struggle, but I think more than anything, Stan, it's a mental struggle, and, uh, you know, you, you can't convince me that Chris Davis's issues aren't mental at this point in time. I mean, yeah. it, it's certainly a large factor of what's going on. Do you think, and I'm sorry, I really did have you on to talk about the Nationals, but I just we just <laughs> we just can't help but talk about it. Do you think that every time he talks or the ball club talks, they talk about how hard he's working? Do you think that they have actually, or he himself has, uh, proactively sought out the help of a sports psychologist who deals is used to dealing with performance anxiety. I know he was at some point. Um, I can't speak to what's going on over there now. Obviously, yep. I'm not there. But um, I know he was seeing a sports psychologist. I know that was something that um, the Orioles wanted him to do. Um, so I don't know if he is right now. But certainly, I think it, it could it could benefit him. It could help him. Um, it. It's really unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Clearly, he's got the talent. Um, he's got the power. Uh, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, he's got the contract now. He doesn't have anything to play for. These guys want to play for pride. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's really unfortunate. Buck used to always say, you know, don't let a star fall on you. And you look at it, and Davis isn't really old enough to be in his decline right now. So they they got to figure out what's going on. Like, Michael Elias told, you know, the athletic Stan Connolly that, they plan on keeping him. They're trying to figure stuff out with all this advanced metrics, but you've got to think that a large part of the problem is between his ears. So uh, you've you've made the big switch. Uh, you left MLB.com where you had been, what, eight or nine years with MLB.com? Yep, nine years. Nine years. Absolutely amazing how the time flies by. Um, tell us a little bit about your new gig and how much different your – beat coverage is than it was for MLB.com. Yeah, it's, it's truly like night and day. Uh, instead of writing about the game and the game stories, because look, there, there's so many great people that are already writing uh, nightly about the game and what happened and the quotes from the clubhouse, uh, I kind of take a little bit of a bird's eye view mm-hmm. uh, and, and really just big picture it a little bit more. Uh, 
I've been able to kind of tackle bigger projects that way. I wrote a story on Monday about, um, you know, seven or eight different guys and their experiences with retiring. Um, certainly there's some Orioles in there. Steve Johnson was one of the guys quoted Joe Saunders, of course. Um, I have a lot of contacts with guys who obviously stopped through Baltimore. But uh, what I'm able to do is say, okay, there's something else that's really important here, and it may not be the, the final score. Mm-hmm. Um I'm able to kind of chase stories a little bit more, which is, it's been cool. It's been a, a, a little different. Um, obviously, a new team, a new organization makes it even more difficult to write different stuff, but uh, kind of welcome the challenge because if you're not if you're not growing and evolving, yep. um, you know, what are you doing? So it, it was a necessary uh, challenge, and it, it's been fun so far. If, if you're not growing and improving, you're either Rock Kabatko or Rich Dubroff, you know. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Hey, so so all kidding aside, do you find yourself now, if you go to a game at Nats Park or if you do travel with the team, uh, are are you able to really enjoy and study and observe the game a little bit differently and better than worrying about having to tweet every, you know, uh, every time somebody uh, farts or anything like that? Yeah, I'm actually able to watch the game and yep. look around because, I mean, you're so busy tweeting and writing your pregame notes and getting your game story going. And, you know, I was just in New York and Philly with the team, and um, there were some nights where I didn't write at all. And that could be hard to get used to, but you're just kind of collecting and gathering, and you're able to take in the nuances. You're able to watch batting practice. You're able to talk to people. Um, because you're not in those big scrums in the locker room, you're able to get guys one-on-one. So. Uh, it's been a, a, a welcome change of pace. I, I tell better guards except for my commute. All um, right. I have a quite a quite a bad commute going to DC. I don't I don't live downtown like I did in Baltimore, but in, in all other aspects, I think it, it's been really cool to cool to see the game in a different light. How how has it been getting to know the the key players? And I'm not talking about just the players on the field. I'm talking about Mike Rizzo. The Lerner family and and a manager and Davey Martinez, who you had very little rapport or relationship with. Right, um, that's been really great. Um, I can't really complain about relationship wise. The clubhouse has been great. Front office has been great. Uh, Rizzo travels a lot. He's very visible, um, which is interesting. Uh, the Orioles often did not have a front office rep on the road. Mm-hmm. Rizzo's at every game, pretty much. Um, and I actually do have. A little bit of background with Davey Martinez. He was the raised bench coach when I was there in 08. Oh, okay. Um, so he was probably the only one I knew going in. Um, but it's been good. Again, you kind of get uh, comfortable, for lack of a better word, when you're with a team for a long time. You know, you don't work the guys in the clubhouse as much because you know everyone. Yep. So this has been an experience to, to try to get to know everyone again and create more relationships. And um, it's been interesting. There are so many former Orioles in the NL. Of course, they're not on the Nationals, but the breed. Uh, there's just so many former Orioles that uh, baseball really just is one big family uh, the longer you're in it. Last last question I've got today before you, and we'll try and get you sometime a little bit later on in the summer uh, when Craig's in here as well. Uh, the, the Nationals without Bryce Harper – Offensively, this team does even with despite the injury of Trey Turner and the horrible start of Brian Dozier, they don't look like they're missing a beat offensively. No, they don't. And I think 
a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of opined that they wouldn't be this powerful team without Harper. Well, Anthony Rendon, very quietly, is one of the best players in baseball. And I think when you have the young outfield that they have at Victor Robles and Juan Soto, you're seeing some really terrific young talent. And they knew that they were going to have to be a little bit more defensive-minded, and they did that. They got Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki, and, you know, they made some upgrades. And, you know, both of those guys can swing the bat as well offensively. So they made upgrades other places, and they chose to, rather than just commit all that money to Harper, um, kind of spread out their commitments. And you're seeing a more well-rounded lineup, I think, than you had in years past. So, yes, as you mentioned, it's early. Uh, but they have not had trouble scoring runs. The real issue, of course, seems to be a recurring theme for the Nationals is that bullpen. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you, if you if you were, I guess, grading 1 to 10, what would you say are the chances that the team will proactively really push to get an extension done with uh, Anthony Rendon? Um, I would say probably an 8, you know, 10 being they're absolutely going to do it, 1 being they're not going to do it at all. Uh, this is a team that spends money. Uh, yep. This is a team that was above the luxury tax uh, the last few years. So uh, I know they really would like to get a deal done. Uh, what's interesting is all these extensions going on for below market value. Mm-hmm. I don't see Anthony Rendon signing any of those, you know, no. an Acuna or an Albies deal. Uh, he's too close to free agency. His agent is Scott Boris. Uh, those things are not happening, but I do think the Nationals really try to get something done. He's off to such a hot start. It reminds me of Adam Jones when uh, Dan Duquette said he's ringing the cash register every time he hits a home run. Right, right. That's certainly the case with Rendon right now. Yeah, he's certainly having a remarkable season. Britt, thank you very much. You're a good friend. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Dan. All right, there you have it, Brittany Giroli of uh, now The Athletic, covering the Washington Nationals, no longer with MLB.com. Joe Tressa has taken her position with MLB.com, really good young writer uh, who understands the analytics of the game. We've had him on once. I'll try and reach out to him over the next couple weeks. But uh, we will look forward to getting Joe Tressa on. Uh, coming up in just a minute is Gary Renicky, former Baltimore Oriole, who played uh, one season in Montreal, and then he played from 1978 through 1985 with the Baltimore Orioles, then played in 86 with the Yankees, and a couple years in Atlanta. But he joins us right now on our uh, Bat Around Live Casino Hotel hotline, and it's Gary Renicky. Gary, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, first of all, got to ask you, I'd forgotten, I knew we got you from Montreal, but you did play 29 games with the Expos in 1976. Ross Grimsley was just up there, um, in Montreal because they had a thing for the, uh, the exhibition games up there. Uh, were you in attendance there? No, but I wish I was. Um, Ross told me about it actually down at the Oriole Fantasy Camp. So I said, well, Ross, I'd love to help out in any way I could. Right. So I, I, you know, not that I I enjoyed the city. <laughs> the ballpark at that time that I played in wasn't very good. So it was seemed like it was always cold and windy, and, and I struggled playing there. I did okay on the road, but I uh, always liked the Montreal uh, city and the fans and so, you know, I always enjoy my time back there. The ballpark you played in, was that Jerry Park? 
Exactly. Yeah, that yep. was before the uh, Olympics of what 1976, and then they had exhibition stadium there for the right, right. Time. Before I was traded to Baltimore, I was still property of of the Expos. I was playing in Denver at that time. Okay, and they were using Olympic Stadium, and and I think I was supposed to be called up two to two different times during that season, and I got hurt both occasions. So I never did make a you know, make presents on that field. And then I got traded to Baltimore and the rest is history. Tell me a little bit about, I'm, I'm looking at your baseball ref, reference record. Now, I always remember you were a, a big instrumental part of the 79 season and the World Series in 83. But there's a 27-game appearance with the Orioles uh, in 1978. Uh, what happened? You had you had gone from Montreal to the Orioles and were you in Rochester for much of that season? I was, but I, I, I began for a brigade. I made the club out of spring training. I can remember the first time, you know, being traded to Baltimore. I show up in spring training. I knew a couple of the names, but then when I stepped onto the field that first day, I looked around. I go, how am I going to make this team? You know, there were main <laughs> players everywhere. Right. But, but I had a good spring. Earl took me on the roster, and I didn't play much. He only played me against. Uh, a few left-handers and Ron Guidry, you know, the year he uh-huh. had that year. Well, I didn't get many hits. And then uh, in June, uh, Al Bumbry broke his leg, and, you know, I thought, well, maybe this is my chance to play. And instead, they sent me down to AAA, activated Elrod Hendricks, and brought somebody else up. And I stayed down there and played under Frank Robinson for, for three months and had a really good last month there and got called back up to Baltimore, and that's when I started to started to hit the hit a little bit that last uh, or September 1978. So now I know you probably, I, I don't know how well you know Mike Elias or Sig Maydahl, the guys that are in charge of the Orioles right now, but they seem to take an approach that they want players who are on the precipice of being ready for the majors to really be polished off as prospects and ready to go in the major leagues. And that sounds like it seems like it might be like the modern way to do things. It sounds like a little bit that's what the Orioles did with you. Well, they did. They did. I, you know, I, I don't know, Mike. I tried to get a hold of him this winter. I was, I was, you know, hoping that he'd hire me back or hire mm-hmm. some scouts. That didn't materialize, but you know, I'm hoping to do that again this winter. But uh, I agree with what their philosophy is. I think when you, you know, don't rush people up to the major leagues. And, and maybe they'll do well at the beginning, and then they'll they'll go deep in a hole or or not start off very good. You know, baseball is all about confidence. You know, when you're young, so if you feel like they feel like you're ready, and then you make that big step, uh, that's the biggest step from AAA to the major leagues. Much so, more than say another level up to the to a higher level, but that's what people used to do in the in the old days. Yeah. So, that's our philosophy. I, I totally agree with it. We're talking with Gary Renicky, former Orioles outfielder. When we hear that a Chance Cisco, uh, and I'm sure that's a name you're familiar with, I don't know how much you've seen him, but hits four home runs the first four or five exhibition games this spring, and then at the last minute, despite the fact he had like an on-base percentage in the high four, the like 480 or something, and he was hitting over 300. They send him down. They also send in their best prospect. They send Austin Hayes down. When they send players that appear to be ready, 
and they say that they want them to really continue their development. Tell me, take me through, and I know you haven't been to the minor league since 1978, but what that development ta- looks like at the AAA level. Is it a lot of work done before ball games, or is it a lot of talking to during games, or is it just simply letting a player go out and figure it out a little bit uh, at that level? Well, I kind of know what those guys are going through because that happened to me that last year with Montreal. Mm-hmm. I actually got sent down. I went three for three and hit a home run in a spring training game, and they sent me down <laughs> the next day. <laughs> right. So they they have that long-range plan. Uh, I, I know that they're very pleased in spring when when the kid you mentioned hit all those home runs. They said, well, you know, we've seen him. We know what he can do at this level, but now we'll, you know, we'll start Start them down. It's kind of their long-range plan. They know, mm-hmm. who, you know, most of the time they know who they're going to take at that major league level. And if it's a question of do we take this young guy or do we stick with this guy that we have, they'll probably send the young guy down and let him play and let him get more at bats. I know the old philosophy used to be is you give a, a minor league of two thousand minor league at bats and then you figure he's ready for the major leagues. Yeah. So instead of coming up starting the season, you know, and so many guys do well in spring training. And then they start the season when the clock actually starts, and then they struggle. And you don't want a young kid doing that. You'd rather have him go down there. When he is hot, now's the time to get him up. Back when you played, Gary, and it it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a a generation or two ago, but it was back in the 80s. Well, pretty close. It's it's getting pretty pretty close. close. It was back in the 80s. There was not the economic element where younger players were so much cheaper that that's why we got to get them up here. It seems like with the the way salaries skyrocketed through free agency arbitration, that when play when teams can't afford certain people, they look around at their system and go, "Well, wait a minute. If we bring this guy up, um, we can afford him, and we let this guy go, we can." We can hit our budget marks. How much of young players getting to the big leagues now is about the economics? Well, you hear a lot about you know them not wanting to start the clock, right? You know, on his playing time, and, and it is it is a factor. Um, you know, when I played, and even before, the money just wasn't there. Uh, I was my last few years. It was during the collusion where we had to take pay cuts. Nowadays, with the with what these guys make. In the, in the arbitration eligible time, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, it can happen during the mid seasons or whatever. So they, they would start a guy down and bring him up maybe a month into the season if he's doing well down there. I know with Ballinger, the Dodgers did that a few years, a couple of years ago, and he had ended up hitting 30 some home runs and not even starting the season with him. They didn't want to start the clock, and it's right, that plays into a great, you know, a great deal of uh, a, a big factor. And they can keep him another, at least another year. We're talking with Gary Renicky. Gary, if you have aspirations of getting back into the game as a scout, and I know, and Jim Henneman know, and we always talk it up, that you are really one terrific scout. And not everybody that is a scout is a terrific scout, but you are a good evaluator of talent. Like a player who might be on the sidelines for a season, how do you keep up with the game? Are you Do you subscribe to MLB Extra Innings? Are you watching a lot of a lot of games so you can keep up your product knowledge? Well, I, I was, Dan, when I first 
uh, wasn't hired. Because this I, is your this is your second year out, right? No, actually, I've been out for this is my seventh. This is your seventh year. year. Okay. Yes, 2011 was my last year with uh, with Baltimore. Okay. And you know, I I got that screwed up. I yeah. thought Dan I thought Dan had hired you. Gosh, it's no, been that long. No, he, okay. He didn't when he okay. came on board, and it wasn't Andy who let me go. Right. It was actually his his nephew. And then, you know, didn't really give me a reason. Yep. You know, I was instrumental in a lot of the big trades there, and I felt the same way. You know, thank you for those kind words. And, and, and I feel the same way. Yeah. I could get inside knowledge that no other people could get. Yep. And for some reason, when they let me go, Milwaukee hired me, and after that, I couldn't find a job. So I stayed in really close to the game because I figured, okay, maybe I'll be out one year. Mm-hmm. And then it was two years. And then it was three years. So every year since, I've kind of fallen farther and farther from following what's going on. But I know if, you know, I'm just hoping that Baltimore could bring me back this winter when they start uh, hiring more scouts, that uh, I would start reading and following again and, and okay. catching up. All right. Gary Renicky is our guest. Gary, now you've got a brother that while he didn't have the fame of uh, hitting 120 big league home runs and having a 351 on base percentage, uh, he's been around champions. Uh, was your brother with Mike Sosha in with the Angels when they won their championship? Yes, he was. He, he when Mike joined uh, when he got hired on and out there in Anaheim in 2000. And that's his yes, brother, Ron. by the way. His name's Ron Renicky. Yes, right, ahead. right. They asked Ron to be his. Uh, his third base coach, he and Ron went back to uh, AAA. They played AAA with the Dodgers coming up together. and So Ron became his uh, third base coach and, and worked his way into the bench coach. But, yes, he was the third base coach on that 2002 team. And now he's the bench coach for Alex Cora in Boston, correct? Right, correct. Last year, uh, last year he signed a three-year contract, and last year was his first year. And given Alex some, uh, some expertise and some, some you know, He's managed the Milwaukee Brewers for a little more than four years. I remember so he's that. Been around, yep. He's been around quite a bit. And Alex being his first year, you know, they worked pretty well together. Yeah, they were a good team. And uh, a first-year manager, no matter how good he is, it helps to have an experienced head in that dugout that might point some things out that uh, need, to, need to be uh, on the table of the manager. Do you know the Orioles uh, manager at all, Brandon Hyde? I don't. Okay. I don't. Uh, the only thing I can say about Brandon is he's he's done it the right way. Yeah, he's, he's he's earned an opportunity to be a major league manager. So you know, kudos to him, and I'm glad he went through the went through the process. And you know, they they're playing pretty well. It's, yeah. it's nice to see that uh, you know they're right there with everybody else in that below uh, well, Tampa Bay. Well, this is going to be a long season here in Baltimore. You may want to say nice things about them because you. <laughs> you want to work for them, and I agree that they're doing everything the right way. Uh, but this is going to be a, a tough, tough season. For well, them. I think everybody knows that, but but you know what? It's nice to have that first good week. Yep. You know, if you no can play some better baseball it. and get out of there, and not like play like Boston was doing. You know, look at how they started the season. I mean, who would ever thought that? You've been the year. you've been around a number of teams. Uh, you know, when these guys like Brandon Hyde got his job. Uh, with the Baltimore Orioles, his first shot is with a total rebuild. Uh, Dale Sveim, you remember when the Cubs hired him with Theo Epstein? That was his first opportunity. They don't seem to make it through 
the rebuild. Um, I, th- I think the managers that do make it through are few and far between, but there are stories of that. That's a very tough situation to sort of s- try and steady things, but you're still, at the end of the day, you're judged a little bit by that win-loss record. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody knows, you know, they, they didn't start that phrase, you're hired to be fired yep. at a accident, you know. But I would say every single one of those guys that did not make through that rebuilding process you're talking about until the team was ready to compete, they would rather go through that opportunity than not being hired at all. So at least they always say, I got that opportunity. When you get into coaching, that's what your ultimate goal is, is to be a, a major league manager. Same with being a player. When you become a professional player, your goal is to become a major league uh, player. So same with the coaches. So them not being able to finish it out is better, I'm sure they would all say, than to not be hired at all. Yeah, no question about it. Gary, uh, the analytics that have uh, taken over our game that we love so much, are you an appreciator of them? Are you a deep diver in them? Or you're a naysayer on uh, what <laughs> analytical assistance can do to teams? Well, I don't want to say a naysayer, but I do believe that that's part of the reason I've been kept out of the game for so long. Yeah. So many of these guys are, uh, that have taken over what I do mm-hmm. uh, have never played the game. They just figure they come up with these uh, formulas how you can rate players. But right. it, you know, all this stuff does not tell you what kind of person he is, what kind of teammate he is, what kind of work ethic he has. It does not tell you that. Um, now, the defense, I agree with some of it, how you can rate guys, but mm-hmm. I still don't understand why and how they think that you can rate a defensive player just by numbers. You know, you, you watch him play. Watch him play. Is he playing in the right position? Does he hit the cutoff man? Does he do this? Does he do that? Does he make every play he should make? You know, it's just by watching from the stands or watching on TV. That's how you can rate it a good defensive player. You know, the other stuff, I think what, what it's hurt, I mean, I've, I'm a proponent of using numbers right. and mix them in, in what you see right. on the field. I've always used both. But now when they're coming up with this launch angle and this exit velocity, those two things, to me, being a hitting guy, leads to more strikeouts. And that's where yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned those two terms because that's where I was going to take this. Do you understand there's a, there's a player that's playing right now for Tampa that had been on the precipice of some good things with the, the Indians, Yandy Diaz, and he's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big guy. His on-base percentage is terrific. His batting averages in the minor leagues are always terrific. Now they've they've Tampa's acquired him, and he virtually never homers. And all of a sudden, they're working on changing a launch angle. And now he's got three home runs. But you're right, changing launch angle can also bring a lot more strikeouts. They don't seem to mind the strikeouts in today's game the way they did in your day. No, they don't. What was last year? The first year ever where they had more strikeouts than base hits in yep. baseball. Yep. You know, launch angle means and when you hit it, when you put it, like we talked about confidence. Baseball is such a skillful sport. You know, I I tell everybody I've talked to that baseball players are the best athletes in the world because most of them excelled in other sports. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard thing to do. You're hitting a round bat with a round ball. And if you're trying to tell a person in his head to swing up 
with a launch angle that means swing up. Right. That bat is not in the path of the ball coming in very, very long. You've got to catch it in a perfect timing. And then when you're mentioning exit velocity, exit velocity means you've got to swing the bat harder. Right. Which, so which means can you're, mean you're pull, more out of control, can it? You're pulling your head. Yeah. Every single, all your listeners, if they would watch these guys or go to a game or watch on TV, almost every time a person swings as hard as he can, he will not hit the ball. Because if you move your head just a little bit, because mm-hmm. we talked about that round bat coming through on a plane to hit that round ball coming in, if that head pulls just a fraction, you will not make contact. Gary, I got to ask you a question, and, I'm, I, and we're we're getting to the end of our time today. But I'd love to get you back on sometime. Uh, I'm a huge proponent for a variety of reasons of the um, electronic eye calling balls and strikes moving forward, and it wouldn't happen a day too soon. Couldn't happen a day too soon for me. I think that the worst thing in the game that still exists is the unpredictability from day to day of the strike zone. Uh, that pitchers don't know what's just going to be a strike today. I mean, they got to feel it out over two or three innings, and then maybe they know. I wonder where you side on on that. Well, I'm I'm more of a traditionalist. I know what you're saying. It is um, inconsistent, but you know, usually at at that level. Those umpires are there for so long. Yep. You get to know them, and you know what their strike zone is. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Probably more so now. Before, it used to be a crossover if you went you know, from American League career right. and you go to the National League. Now they're different umpires. But right. now these guys cross over, and if they're there for that long. You get to know them, and you know what their strike zone is going to be. Uh, you know, if they, if they did that, if they took that, I'm sure the umpires would say, well, you don't need us. We don't need us at all. You know, the TV can make every play, every call. Well, but, you we'll know, see. Maybe, we'll maybe they should. Yeah, and the hard thing is, is too, is the replay. Sometimes it slows it down. It takes forever yeah. for them to make a decision sometime on safe out or fair foul. So, so last question I have for you today is, with all the tinkering going on in baseball, baseball has announced MLB and the Atlantic League uh, have announced a partnership, I think, for three or four years. Apparently, Major League Baseball is going to pay to put, uh, what's it called, TrackMan, the, the radar system in every ballpark in the Atlantic League. They are talking about exploring the second half of this year, moving the pitcher's mound back two feet. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard of to try and bring more offense into the game? More offense into the game? That's I think what, there's more offense right now, a lot yeah. more than what I played. Yeah. I mean, these, these balls they're using now are so much harder. They're the same ball. They don't want to say it, but they're the same ball that they experimented with, I remember, in 1987. And if guys went back and looked at numbers, right. some guys hit career home runs that one year. It's the same ball. They brought it back after the strike year, and now you got guys that are bigger and stronger swinging these lighter, harder maple bats hitting a harder ball. You know, if they would just get rid of this launch angle and just make solid contact, you'd have a lot more runs scored. All right. So I don't think they need to be bringing it back and have the pitcher force him to throw that. I, this is the, this is frankly the craziest thing I've ever heard, and I doubt I, I, I somehow doubt that it's even going to get to the advanced stage where they do it in the Atlantic League. But I think the the danger for pitchers there trying to muscle up is just uh, it's a, yeah it's yeah, an it's accident waiting to, to happen. Know, yeah, they're so in tune to throwing sixty feet six inches, and now you want to move it back. 
hey, two feet, that, that affects their breaking pitches. Yep. Hey, I got to tell you, it was great to see you at the 83 um, reunion. Uh, you're, you're a fan favorite here for a long time, and uh, uh, let's get you back in the game, all right? Thank you. I'd love to. All right, I'll Gary. Enjoy my time there. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There's Gary Renicky. Uh, former Oriole. Boy, I had forgotten. I remember Dan, uh, Jim Henneman was working to try and get him uh, hired by the Orioles with Dan Duquette. I thought that somehow he had. Seven years out of the game, one of the, the really good scouts in the game and a good person. Um, I've got to... I've got to ask moms and dads to listen up. All season long, kids ages 9 and under, cheer free at Oriole Park. Visit Orioles.com Kids Free for details. And bring your kids to Oriole Park to cheer free. I like world-famous chicken. You like world-famous chicken. We all like Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Why? Because Royal Farms world-famous chicken's always fresh, never frozen. Because it's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Because it's cooked on the spot, right in the store. And because it's the juiciest, best-tasting chicken on the planet. That's why everyone likes Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Western fries, too. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. All right, we are back in the live casino hotel studios to wrap things up and remind you that uh, in these same studios tomorrow, uh, Glenn and uh, Ken Zalis and um, Kyle Ottenheimer with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show from 10 to 12 and all through the week, Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark uh, and Kyle Ottenheimer with uh, the Glenn Clark Radio Show from the live casino hotel studios. We thank you for listening today. Uh, by the way, on a personal note, I will not be doing an after bird watching after today's game. I did do an unannounced one last night, uh, but I will be doing one tomorrow night, either 9.30 or 10 o'clock. You can go to my personal Facebook page, so go to Facebook Live at facebook.com slash StanTheFanCharles, and we'll uh, talk some baseball. Normally, I will be on Mondays through Thursdays, after night games, and I'll periodically pop in with some special announced uh, appearances doing after bird watching. We'll do over 100 shows again this summer, so I hope you'll tune in and uh, be a part of it as we get into this uh, full-fledged rebuild of the Baltimore Orioles. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you, Brittany Everett. Always pleasure. We'll, s- we'll see you next week for maybe one of two last times, but again, congratulations on your new position in the PR world. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That does wrap up the show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody.